us, the relationship between science, film, and media has long been intertwined. We're here to dissect that relationship, turning it inside out for all to see. And throughout the years, one truth has revealed itself. You don't need good science to make a good movie. But it sure makes it better. Times have changed, and times are strange. Here I come, but I ain't the same. Mama, I'm coming home. Welcome to the Real Science Podcast, the podcast where three highly qualified professionals pick a movie and pick apart the science. My name's Kenan Smith. Times go by, it seems to me. You could have been a better friend to me. Hi, I'm Sean Crossan. Welcome to the Real Science Podcast. You made me cry. <laughs> you told me lies. But I can't stand to say goodbye. Mama, I'm coming home. <laughs> I'm Michael Pace. Welcome to a very special episode of the Real Science Podcast. Uh, we talk every other week about how qualified we are. And for the first time ever, one of us is actually now qualified. <laughs> Let's give a big hand to Dr. Sean Michael Gross. Thank you. Thank very you. Good. Very good. Thank very you. Good. Very good. Thank you. Very good. Very good. Yes, Thank it's, you. It's... Do you have anything to say? Uh, nope. Oh. Right. No, I'm just kidding. Thank, uh, <laughs> I'm happy to have a PhD, and thank you for acknowledging me on the podcast, mm-hmm. I guess. The thing I do want to say okay. to the audience, actually... Pace. Oh, good. Nope, nope, please, Pace. Pace, please, please Pace. Pace. Turn off your fucking computer. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing that I do want to say to the audience is I've realized that having a PhD doesn't make doing this podcast any different <laughs> at all. For example, you could watch a movie, like the movie we watched this week, which is Contact. A lot like the movie we watched this yeah, week. like yeah. Contact, and, and, you know, realize you have absolutely no idea whether the science was true or false, because you don't work in that field whatsoever. Exactly. So, well, here's, uh, the, here's the thing, Sean, uh-huh. about a PhD that a lot of people might not understand, all right? Mm-hmm. A PhD is taking one tiny little minuscule aspect of science... And trying to push it, just push it and push it. And so you can't push it anymore. You're selling right? it, you're selling it. You're, you're, selling it. you're slapping it in the lunchboxes. <laughs> and then you realize, I know nothing else besides this one tiny little niche area of science. Taste. <laughs> For you, it's taste and obesity. Um, the thing is with this movie, though, is I couldn't tell if, by the end of it, I couldn't tell if I knew nothing. Or if the movie just had nothing to say. Uh, <laughs> I think it's, you know, Ken? I think it's probably the latter. <laughs> I actually think it's a little bit of both. Oh. Um, so I don't know if you guys so. can tell, but we watched the movie Contact this week. Uh, and a lot of people have told us that we should watch this movie. I think the very first person was a friend of the podcast, Michael Bland. Um, uh, you are no longer a friend of the podcast. Sorry, <laughs> Any of you who told us to watch Contact, you trolled us real hard. Yeah, because this movie has a lot of... Uh, I guess we could say theology. It's a little well, bit of a, like <laughs> theology, faith-based type movie. Here's here's the thing it's about sort of a religion versus science type thing. It is, and here's yeah. the thing about this movie is that this is a this is a movie that initially is masquerading as a scientific fiction film, sci-fi film, uh, but then at the end you realize, oh, this movie was about religion and faith the entire time. I will say that it does also do a decent job of making sort of a subplot or sub-argument against technology 
Like the I suppose, yeah. Matthew McConaughey's character, we'll just call him Maddie Mac for the per like for e- for ease. Call him Maddie Mac. Maddie Mac, just for just for ease, because it's much easier to say. I just um, call him Pretty Boy. Just call him All Right, All Right. I call it All Right, All Right, Maddie Mac, Pretty Boy. Um, he does mention, yeah, it's a lot of, it's faster. Uh, he does mention a couple times that technology has like detracted from the way we live now. You know. You know, man, just people always look at their phones. I don't know. I don't go on Twitter. Hashtag so. look up. Oh, well, you're a Luddite, much like Maddie Mac. So, like, I so understand. So I'm, I'm getting more out of my life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, sure. Okay. Well, that, according to Maddie Mac, yeah. Whereas, it's a good point, though. I mean, because, I, you know, people always, really? if you want my honest opinion. Join okay. pace. My honest opinion. <laughs> I, even though I love uh, certain aspects of social media, I honestly think that for a lot of people, uh, being connected and all the ways that they are, it does them more harm than good. The weird thing um, is I so. actually just opened your Twitter page, and you actually only have two followers now. And yeah, it's, and it's that's just crazy. Me and Kenan. That's, Everybody that's okay. else just, just left. I actually hopped on your LinkedIn, and I was trying to find some of your like really good Psycom articles that you write, but they're all deleted. I think uh, Mark Zuckerberg, the head of LinkedIn... Uh, showed up and deleted all of your LinkedIn. Are you, wait, wait, wait. wait. Mark, well, you mean the Mark you mean, Zuckerberg? You mean Mark, Marky Mark Wahlberg Zuckerberg? You mean the Zuck? The Z- yeah, you got Zucked. I got Zucked. You got Zucked hard. Oh my god. Wow. You know, man, that sucks. I wasn't expecting it, but now, Kenan, <laughs> it's okay because I can look up. That's true. Wow. Hey, everyone, hashtag look up. Anyway, we're gonna oh, try god. really, really hard to talk about any science in this movie. Uh, unfortunately, none, none of us are astrophysicists, uh, but yeah. we're going to give it our best shot. Which, like, I, I don't, I want to make this really clear to the listeners. We all work in biology, so like, I, I love these space movies. Well, They're great, Kennedy. Sean, you're I a did, biologist. I did say that we're highly qualified to be in this podcast, so we have to. Well, I'm highly qualified. Well, you, well, you're more highly qualified than either Pace <laughs> or I. But, but the thing is, we're not qualified in everything. No, 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 no. Oh, sorry. I mean, we are, of if, course. Listen, we, de- we definitely are qualified you. in everything. Yes. Just maybe our expertise might be more better stretched focus as though a... too little butter on too much bread. Sure. Whatever <laughs> that meant. Yeah. I do love me some billable baggins. But let me nice. actually say, though, even though we might not have specific expertise in astrophysics or... I don't know, other weird things like architecture or entomology, we still spend a lot of our time reading scientific lingo and sifting through useless piles of information. We're, very, we're very good at it. That's and true. that actually is something that we bring to the show, to the listeners. Yeah. is an ability to sift through bullshit and then tell you what's important. All right. Well, you pretty since, succinctly describe what we do on this podcast. Since that's what we do, should we do it? Yes, we, we should. We any should other disclaimers do it. for this movie, or for us, or for I have, this particular recording. I have a disclaimer. Actually, yeah, this is a different disclaimer. So, as listeners, you might be expecting, you know, oh, Sean, what a funny guy! He makes all these funny jokes mm-hmm. all the time, That's, and they're all thinking, you know. That. But now, they may, you know, maybe they do a podcast where they read lyrics from "Mama, I'm Coming Home" by Ozzy Osbourne in the beginning. You know, I stuff know, like I don't that. Know what you're about. Yeah, I mean, people expect that level of comedy, but I'm a I'm a doctor now. Damn it. And That's I can't true. just throw my credibility around willy-nilly. You so can't? there's not going to be any more of this funny stuff. What well, level do you have in there? I agree with that. It's all, it's all I have now. <laughs> so just, you know, if you think it's going to be funny, just tune out now. This is not going to be funny. It's not going to be uh, funny ever. In again. fact, Pace, why don't we get serious here? I want you to tell the audience what, what our disclaimers are. Yeah, Especially Pace. for tonight, since we're all in terrible moods. And only science now, Pace. Go. Only we science. do have more disclaimers than usual this time. We do. First one is we that... Yeah, wait, yes, we, we do. do. Okay. The first okay. one is that... Right. Take it away. It's a Saturday night. It is a Saturday night. It's Normally, we record on Wednesday. It's all right for fighting. But today is a Saturday. And because of that, Saturday, we're a little more Saturday, loosey-goosey. Saturday. 
just keeping it nice and loose over here. Yeah, yeah. we're trying to drink as much beer as we possibly can. I wasn't Ken, how would you describe yourself right now? Would it be like loose? I would actually say that I am both equal parts loosey and goosey. Uh-huh, that's pretty nice. Like if I on an equal measure. Okay. Yeah. I'm I can, feeling. Pretty I can loose see that also. in your face. I've done multiple. T- I've done at least three tests. I will say they're plus or minus point three loosey. So how much goosey? Oh no, goosey spot on. Okay, every time. Good. Yeah. No so, standard deviation. No there. standard deviation for. Goosey. It is Saturday. Yes. So that's one disclaimer. Okay. Uh, we're a little more relaxed than usual. Right. A little more disinhibited, if you will. Yeah. We're still going to curse sometimes. I think most people say uninhibited, but go ahead. disinhibited is the scientific term. This is a science podcast. Oh right, sorry. Um, <laughs> you're a little too loose, Ken. I need you to rein it in. Yeah, sorry. I'll, I'll harden up. Don't say wink. So there might be some light cursing, and for this movie in particular, uh, this this movie. Uh, more so than some of the other films that we watch, breaches into science fiction pretty strongly. Oh, yeah. Real, so, real science fiction. Um, yeah, so if you're expecting some sort of wonderful insights from us this uh, this episode... <laughs> yeah, if you're expecting maybe, us uh, to tell you that, like, oh, yeah, next week. you know the aliens they met at the end of Contact? Totally realistic. That's yeah. what aliens would look like. All aliens are dads. Spoiler uh, alert. We'll get to that. Yeah. So anyway, let's jump right into this movie. Sorry. Dr. Sean Crossan. <laughs> Can yes. you please do us the honor of jumping directly into the movie? Okay. The movie begins with a shot of the solar system, really the planet Earth, and then the camera pans back and back and back and further back, just showing us how small and infinitesimal we are. But while this is happening, right, there is radio music playing. There is. Or radio talk shows are just radio gibberish from Earth. All sorts of like... TV, audio, and, and all sorts of other things are playing. Notable events in history that you would recognize and if you heard them. in the movie, what happens is the further you get back from Earth, cleverly, the radio signals seem to go back in time. That's right. Depicting that there is a huge delay, even things traveling at the speed of light, from uh, the Earth to, I don't know, the outreaches of the galaxy. Or well, we go past the... the uh, first, we leave the solar system... Uh, and at that point, I think we leave the, uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but I think it's known as the, uh, the Oort cloud, or the Oort sphere, at least on the outside of the, uh... Did you say Orc? Oort. Not the Orc. It's not full of mythical beasts. Uh, we get to the outside of that, and then we get to our, what, our, our nebula? Further back. Pulls out. Are you trying to make me fall asleep? Is that what's <laughs> happening? I don't know. The point anyway, that... The... <laughs> anyway, the further it goes back, the uh, the older these uh, radio transmissions That's, what, that's what I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, but, I mean, there's a problem with all this. Uh, oh. The major problem is that by the time we get out next to, like, say, Pluto, mm-hmm. uh, we are hearing radio stations or radio broadcasts from, like, FDR and things like that, right? So it's we've, we've launched ourselves far back in time. But the thing is, is that radio waves travel at the speed of light, which you mentioned. Right? Yes. So 300 kilometers per second. Uh, it takes approximately eight minutes, we all know, for light to leave the sun and reach Earth, right? Of course, everyone knows that. Everyone knows that. It takes six hours for light to leave the sun and reach Pluto. Okay. The outermost debated planet on in our solar system. Uh, which means once we get out by Pluto, we would be hearing radio broadcasts from only six hours previous. So not from like FDR. Not from like so whatever FDR. What you're saying is, unfortunately, you'd still be hearing Selena Gomez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you'd be hearing Selena Gomez. People would still be dabbing in and bottle flipping. So yeah. what you're really saying and is eating, that eating Tide Pods. The That's first, still happening. The opening scene of the movie, while a cool concept, is a lie. Is a lie. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. But I think to make it, us lie to us within seconds. I think it does like reinforce a very very 
cool like point that I mean we have an intelligent audience, right? But of course we do. You know, they listen to us. It's, of course. It is. It's just a very very cool phenomenon that we that in in this universe that we exist in, and that uh, you know, depending on how many light years something is away, it almost is like you're traveling back in time mm-hmm. uh, if you were to travel that distance away that quickly. You know, um, and which. Also- Go ahead, sorry. Oh, no, you, you go ahead. I interrupted you. After you, Pace. Well, no, I was just going to say, because it's it's an important thing whenever someone's considering life out in the universe, mm-hmm. right? Uh, depending on how far away that life is, it literally is like traveling back in time uh, in regards to the types of messages or uh, signals they would receive from us based upon how far away we are from them. So mm-hmm. It also does a really good job of actually playing into the allegory of the film, which... Um, Although it has a couple of different messages that it's trying to display, one of those is that like technology is sort of a plight upon humanity, and the further you pull back from a situation, the f- like the more you stand back and really look at the big picture, the more you can silence some of that out. And so, because uh. by the time it actually pulls away from the Earth in its entirety, you no longer hear any radio broadcast anymore, and you're observing the universe for what it really is, and it's all. All of its silent splendor. Wow. See, Jody Foster says they should have sent a poet. I think they should have sent Kenneth Smith. Sent Kenneth. <laughs> because he did that. What a word picture. I mean, I feel like I'm really looking at the galaxy. Oh, right billion now. Shakespeare's. Okay. All right. So, aside from this, let's talk about the plot of the movie. Okay? Yeah. Do we have to? Yes, we have to. Okay. The beginning of the movie starts with uh, young Jodie Foster, yep. played by not Jodie Foster, but it's supposed to be young her. Her name is Eleanor. Eleanor, Eleanor Rigby. Eleanor Rigby. <laughs> okay. Ellie okay. is a kid. Yes. You see her and her father on the radio trying to communicate with other people in, I don't know, the world. They're like just, operating yes. a ham radio. They got like a ham radio and they're just trying to com- communicate with people as far away as possible from them. And they contact someone in Florida and she's like, well, that's the farthest we've ever gotten. And her dad's like, you're my little Ellie. Like, you're the best. And... You know, it's all very, all very happy because you know that something terrible is going to happen to them. So it has to be very happy. In the sure, end. exactly. They allude to the fact that her mother um, died when she was very young. Yep. Um, and we find out later that her mother died in childbirth, so she never got to know her mother. Yep. And the beginning scenes are just like her hanging out with her dad, establishing that she has like this, I don't know, love for space. Right. Communication with people that are really, really far away. She also I, asked her at one point whether uh, he's tucking his daughter into bed. Right before uh, she goes to sleep, she asks her father, uh, oh, how far away do you think we can communicate with people? I thought she asked him, like, do you think there are is life on, life on, out on, there, on yeah. other planets? And do you think we can talk to them? Yeah. Uh, and then she says, do you think we can communicate with our mom? Uh, which is super sad, but also is foreshadowing. So, yeah. Oh, it's very foreshadowing. foreshadowing. Um, and then I think the movie jumps ahead to adult Jodie Foster. Yep. Well, adult, adult Ellie. Eleanor, played, played by, by Jodie Foster. Foster. <laughs> I'm going to just call her Jodie Foster. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Because it's Mrs. easier Rigby. for me to visualize Jodie Foster in this. Right. So you find out that she works for, what's what's the organization called? The SETI? Uh, SETI, the yep. Search for Extraterrestrial something. Intelligence. Uh, Intelligence, yes. yes. Mm-hmm. And so she basically is a scientist, and her job is to monitor radio waves or frequencies of some sort of like radio material coming in from space and see if anyone is trying to contact yeah. anybody. She's in That's charge it. of uh, part of her project well, is to well, monitor the stars. The movie's called Contact. Whoa. Yes. Wow, that's so crazy. That's fucking correct. Wow, cool. It's her job to contact. <laughs> well, they did one thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, so Pace is coming in for Bobby Zemeckis. <laughs> 
So Ellie is in Puerto Rico. Old Ellie. And it's uh, Arecibo, Puerto Rico. Arecibo, Puerto Rico. And they are trying to contact, you know, outer space life. And right. And there's an opening scene where she's at a restaurant just getting some food or something. And she mm-hmm. runs into Matthew McConaughey. Yep. And he is asking her about the project. Sorry, who? Uh, Matthew McConaughey. Who? Oh, Maddie Matt. Maddie Mac? Maddie Mac. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Maddie Mac. All right. Yeah, that's much more familiar than his name, Matthew Maddie Mac. He offers her some Cracker Jacks. Secret word of Maddie Mac. And she's like, no, take your fucking Cracker Jacks away. And he gives her the prize from the Cracker Jacks, which is a little compass. A little compass. And they start talking about how he's writing a book, and they're sort of flirting. And he's like, oh, I need to meet uh, Dr. Dunkman? Dumblin? Whatever his name is. Dr. Drumlin? Dr. Drumlin? (laughs) I don't remember, dude. He's... Dr. Dr. Drumlin, played by Tom Skerritt. His name's David Drumlin. Yeah. You, you know, you sound smart, but you have the IMDb page open. Yeah, up, everyone. Yeah, of course. Everyone <laughs> knows that. He's listening to this podcast. Okay. <laughs> well, he wants to meet him because he's writing a book about the like perils of technology and like the negative effects of technology on like third world countries or mm-hmm. something. Yeah. And um, she basically says, like, well, I work for him, and he's kind of a dick. Yeah, he'll be here on Thursday. And then yeah. they cut to a scene where they're at like a party at night, sort of like celebrating that, oh, we're going to start this new project, and it's great, we just got here. And uh, Math- Maddie Mac Thanks. says something like offensive to Dunkman, or whatever his name is, to Dunkles. <laughs> Dinkman? To D- and he basically says like, oh, I don't believe in your bullshit or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he basically he says Jeff like... Jeff Goldblum's him. He's like, yeah, he's like he what you call science, <laughs> I call the rape of the natural world or exactly. something. Yeah, and yeah. It, 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 he Jeff Goldblum's He him. says chaos theory like six times. Yeah, and uh, then this turns Jodie Foster on and she goes, let's go have sex. Well, he also did say she, because he was called Father Ross, right? Yeah. By, yeah. by she, Dr. Dumbles. She finds out that he is a... He's not, like... He's not an actual... He's not priest. an actual, like, priest in he's the He's a seminary dropout. He's, he's a, a seminary dropout yeah. who... And he says the line to her, just couldn't just couldn't deal with the whole Just couldn't deal with thing. the whole celibacy thing. And which then is, Winks and the camp, the Foley work on that was just ding! Yeah. And it was, Jodie Foster uh, fell head of, head of her heels. In 1997, I guess that... that wow, no. it worked, didn't it? Wow. That sentence is never That was good, amazing. And, but, I mean... No. I mean, it seemed like it worked, but really what happened is Jody was like, I'd like to go have sex, and then she goes to have sex with him, and then they get done, and she's like, well, uh, yeah, there's food in the fridge if you want, and I'm gonna go to work. And, and just, please like, leave. Leave. Yeah. She's like, yeah, we'll call you. Leave your number. Just leave your number or whatever. <laughs> it's pretty great. That's that's pretty That's pretty. I thought she was gonna hand him some cab fare. Like, it was... <laughs> Jody got what she needed, and she said, Maddie, Maggie, get out And Matt was like, are we, yeah. gonna, are we gonna see each other? Are we married now? Like, yeah, we don't call you. Whatever. <laughs> so that's how the movie starts. Uh, she goes back to work, and then someone comes. <laughs> Real in. quick, it also doesn't help that Matthew McConaughey, after sleeping with her, and then they're cuddling in bed. Uh, he she opens up to him, and we oh. find out that her dad died when she was nine. That's at this point. Mm-hmm. She didn't know her mom well, and we find out later that she died. Uh, and Maddie Mac does a really good job of comforting her by saying that, "Oh, you must be so alone." Oh yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah. Which is probably why she was like, "All right, well, I'm gonna go to work now." Yeah. yeah. She tells yeah. him her dad died when uh, he she was nine, and then when she leaves to go to work, she pauses outside and has a flashback, and we get to see yeah. how her dad actually died, and she's basically. Okay, there's a meteor shower. Okay, <laughs> okay. We go back to when they're kids, <laughs> right? So she she's a child. There's a meteor shower outside, and you see her outside, like, Dad, come on, you're gonna miss it. And there are two telescopes pointed at the meteor pointed shower, directly in the sky, which like for a meteor shower doesn't make any sense because the whole point of the meteor shower is you stand outside in the dark and you watch all the meteors all over the sky. If you put a telescope out, you're literally like narrowing your field of view. You, if to, you like, see a meteor, it's just. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> and you're missing most of the meteor Most shower. of the meteor. It's like, doesn't make any sense. It's like being in your house and looking out the window instead of going outside. Yeah, like, yeah, why yeah. Are you I want to see it? the parade. I'll look through this paper, too. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Mm-hmm. That, you know... I mean, not saying her dad deserved to die because of that. But it's that's what kills her father. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely not the heart attack that he had, right? Right. So exactly, she, she has like, a heart dad, attack downstairs. Dad goes inside, rounds that he was dead on the ground, and like goes, "I'll get the medicine," and tries to get nitroglycerin for him. Slow motion runs upstairs. And really slow motion yeah. runs upstairs. Um, that was actually a really cool shot, though, because they like it looked like she was running down a hallway, and then it pans backwards, and you see that the camera was on a mirror the whole uh-huh. time. I don't know. I thought that was a really sweet piece of cinematography. Yeah, just nothing to do with science, right? But it was a really cool part of the movie. Weird. That's a novel, novel concept. Cinematography. What yeah. does have to do with science <laughs> is the medicine that they were grabbing for him for his heart attack, right? The nitroglycerin, right? Yeah. Uh, which is a good source of nitrogen. Yep. For the body. Yeah. Pace looked at me and said, "Sean, since you're a doctor." Is this actually a real medicine? That I did. I was so attacks? I was yeah. so desperate for the information. And, and Sean I had like, an explosive revelation for us. It, wow, that's good. Thanks. Because nitroglycerin is also used as uh, Sorry. explosive glycerin. Whatever. Did you just pronounce that like audio slice? Audio slice. Who sings bush? Glycerin. Don't let the Stop! Stop! We have to do the. We have to do are the. Are you guys singing trash rock again? We are. Stop! Stop! You are the definition of trash rock. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Call back to your trash rock. <laughs> nitroglycerin. <laughs> nitroglycerin. Is. Nitroglycerin is in fact used to uh, for patients with angina or chest pain that are pro- angina, which is chest pain. Oh, it just means chest pain. Mm-hmm. It's not caused by a specific thing like vasoconstriction or... I mean, it can be caused by a lot of different things, but the thing that nitroglycerin actually does right. is in your body, your body will break it down and produce nitric oxide, and that dilates your blood vessels. Ah, okay. So right. it helps with re-oxygenation of the cardiac tissue and stuff. But you need to take it prior to an event for it to, have, for it to do it. Yeah, anything. the idea is like when you have a heart attack, you normally start having chest pain. Like you don't just right. go like, and then die. Most yeah. time you're like, oh man, my chest hurts, your arm goes numb, there's like... You taste pennies. Some symptoms. You taste pennies? Is yeah, that a thing? that's one of them, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, I'm only a... I'm not that kind of doctor. <laughs> Finally, you can say it! Yeah. <laughs> I'm not that kind of doctor. But either way, you'd have to take this prior to a, an yeah. actual heart With attack. With the onset of... Basically, if you're on the ground unconscious, that's... That's shoving the pills down your throat game over do I mean yeah, she even says afterward oh if I would have had a spare set of medicine in the downstairs bathroom you could it have taken some chest pain right? I, I suppose but I, I I'm not sure if it would have helped I honestly think if you were I'm surprised that if you were getting prescribed nitroglycerin for your I guess predisposition to a cardiac event that you wouldn't have it on you like in your pocket yeah that's a good yeah, point yeah. Yeah. but I mean that's obviously true. her dad didn't and he died I mean he had to die for the plot so. Yes, that's why he had to die for the plot. So do it for the plot. We jump back into the present day. Jodie Foster goes to work with what's her coworker's name? Dan? Kent? 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 Yeah, it's Kent Clark. Oh his my name god, is, that's his name is Kent Clark. Yeah, yeah. Kent Clark. So his brother got all the superpowers, but the only one that he got was mm-hmm. uh, super hearing. Well, you know they wouldn't be brothers because they had different good. last names, right? That's not how that works. That's Very good. Definitely how He's that works. bizarro. Super smell. He also does have super smell. Yeah. Okay, so this guy's Daredevil, basically. There's several times in this movie where he identifies people by sense of smell and his, like, plot-convenient superpower is being able to hear things that other people can't hear. 
Yes, but he is also, he is blind. The character is blind. Oh, yeah, he's blind. So I guess their way of doing this is like, because he's blind, I guess his All other of his other senses are heightened, are heightened. which, <laughs> is that right, Sean? Is I don't know. Why science? are you guys, is this, is this how this is going to go? Are you guys yes, keep asking a doctor me because... now. <laughs> I worked on taste and gene therapy. It is 100% not true. Yeah, it is. What? 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 <laughs> Intruder well, alert! Hold on, Kenan. Sarah's gonna slam you real fast. Sarah, throw the book at him. Let's oh, go. No. So, anytime your body loses a sensory system, your brain will recruit the parts of your brain that were initially designed to respond to that sensory system. So, in the case of blindness, your occipital lobe could be recruited by other parts of your system, like your auditory cortex. Wow. We we should, you know what, why are we doing a podcast? We should have the real Dr. Crossan on here. (laughs) Smart Dr. Crossan. I've just seen it in um, people who are deaf. So I work with patients with uh, cochlear implants. So if they were born deaf, for example, or deaf for a really long time, the part of their brain responsible for responding to hearing ends up recruited by other parts of the brain. So when you... That is rad. Yeah, it's interesting. They'll have heightened senses in other parts of their body. Um, So for example, I worked with a patient one time, long-term deafened, born deaf, got a cochlear implant. So now we're delivering simulation to the auditory nerve, to the part of the brain that was supposed to be for hearing, but it's been recruited for something else. So we turned on the implant and she felt it in her leg. What? Yeah, and it's interesting. Over time, your body can learn to redesignate those parts of the brain. So it took time, but basically she felt pulses in her leg at first. And after a few weeks, her brain was able to like reorient that to understanding that she was understanding that she was experiencing sound. Sarah, yeah, that's amazing. Thank yeah. you for dunking on me. Yeah. And like, you know, patients yeah, so are neurologists. And, and he didn't even know that. I was about done. to say that. <laughs> to be fair, I had checked out a little bit. You're a so, neuroplastician. You should oh, know all of this. But, uh, no, I write, and, uh, but, I mean, hey, neuroplasticity at work, guys. Listeners, that, so, was, that was Dr. Sarah Cross. A friend of the podcast. Friend Dr. of the Sarah podcast Crossan. and wife to the other doctor on the podcast. <laughs> wow, Dr. you guys Crossan are such elitists studio. right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just fact-checking and trolling Kenan at the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> it is a real thing. It. So it is a real I'll thing that go. if you have a sensory system that's deprived for some reason, the brain will recruit, uh, or can, I shouldn't say will, can in some circumstances recruit to another sensory system. So you're saying that Dr. Clark Kent could have developed effectively <laughs> Kent super- Clark, Clark. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> yeah, Dr. Right. Kent Clark could have developed superpowers and yeah. smell super good and well, hear not super superpowers. Good. Not superpowers, just well, slightly more brain. Well, basically, yeah. Thanks. Okay, yeah. Basically, we'll go with that. <laughs> He's a doctor, I'll back you up so. there, Kenan. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, Sarah. Yes. Do you know the most unsurprising thing about what just happened? What? We still made a movie about Astrophysics, astrophysics and turned it into something about biology. So, Are you oh, saying yeah. we're good at what we do, Pace? Yes. Wow. No, we're not. Sarah's no, good we're, at we're what not. she does. We're not. I'm sorry. <laughs> Sarah's saving the show once again. All right. So, so this is her new co-worker, Dr. Kent Clark. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, actually, they've been working together for years. They have this like bond that they share throughout the entire movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he tells her that the plug has been pulled, that Dr. Dirk Drumblum has said, you know, no more money for you guys. Uh, she goes and confronts him. Almost runs him over with a Jeep, which frankly he deserves, uh, and starts yelling at him. And Or he gets his. Yeah. Dr. Drunken <laughs> says, uh, oh, I'm saving your career. Like, I'm, I'm helping you out. You'll never be published. No one will take you seriously. You'll never get funding anyway. Blah, blah, blah. I'm a man. I know best. And that's basically his entire role in the Does he end this conversation with that? Yeah, he did. That verbal. Okay. He sticks his tongue out and everything. Yeah. It's good. So she leaves because nothing good can come of that. 
And uh, Superman says, let's raise our own money. We'll just go to private organizations and see if we can uh, raise our own money for basically what is still the SETI project. Yeah. So she does this. And they were like, let's go to New Mexico. Yep. For a the very large array. Yep, the VAL. All the equipment is Val. set up to continue the their experiments. Yep, exactly. Which apparently, so, just being able to read the internet, I found someone <laughs> actually on the SETI website, they do some critiques about this movie, and one of the main things they said is that using the very large array, while there are more satellites, it's actually less area for collection for data collection purposes than in Arecibo where they initially were. So like moving the operation would actually make it less likely they'd find something. But in the movie, the reason they do it is because the um, uh, Arecibo area that they're using is government owned right? and they have to lease it from the government. The government basically says, we don't want to lease it to you because we don't think your work research is worth it. Right. Uh, okay. So that's how they justify this in the plot, even though it would be like, you know, methods wise, less efficient. Yeah. When you you say that like, it's not as efficient at recovering a larger area. Do you mean actual area and physical space for, for recording the, any sort of like, yeah. signal or reception that they're getting using the, the array. Are you saying, like, less of the, the night sky or less of the sky at a time? I'm pretty sure... I'm Listen, I like I said, I'm really... It's fine, it's fine. Off Doctor, of the website. Dr. Crossing. Right? <laughs> what they say, the area of the array is four times smaller. Okay. So I'm assuming, like, the dish area yeah, yeah, yeah. that they're receiving the total surface area of the dishes. Okay. That makes sense. So that's that's what I'm thinking. Is that it's four times smaller. Okay. And that's from the actual SETI, SETI website. Yeah. website. Mm-hmm. So I mean they probably know what they're talking about. I bet they do. Yeah. So probably more than us. Fair. So they say it it just wouldn't be as an efficient way to, to run their experiments as the exactly. as their previous premise. As Arisabo. Yeah, in uh, Puerto Rico. In okay. Puerto Rico. Um, Jodie Foster is now off for another source of funding for her dream project, right? Discovering extra- extraterrestrial life. Uh, so she goes to a private corporation for this now that she can no longer get any other source of funding. Yep. Um, and she goes to this corporation called, called Haddon Corporation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it basically, this is her last ditch effort. All right. And she's pitching her project to them. Yeah. She said um, she's been through like 14 other companies prior to this. She has exhausted all their options. Uh, and initially, they were about to reject her proposal just based on the fact that it's more science fiction than actual controlled science. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then she makes the case uh, in actually a pretty emotional way uh, to the three members of the board or whoever she was pitching her idea to. Um, yeah, what did she say? Like her, her opening lines or something about... She, about, like, she talks about Kitty Hawk at first. Yeah. Yeah. She was like... Yeah, I mean, I guess it's it is crazy. You're right. Like building a plane and flying around is it's insane. Like a bunch of birds. Her, her <laughs> argument is that any sort of in- innovative idea initially seems crazy to anybody, uh, which right. I mean is not really how science gets funded. But it's not. But it doesn't it's mean it's like, not true, though. Yeah, it's not. It's not. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't mean it's not necessarily true. Sure. It no, just I mean, doesn't. No, it, it's, it's definitely not the best way to get someone to fund you, but it doesn't mean it's not true. Sure. So. It's it's a fair point to make, but it's not going to be the sole factor that gets your project funded. But it manages to work for the mysterious person behind the camera who's watching. The, the people reviewing her proposal get a call at the end of her pitch, and uh, something convinces them to fund her project. They get the money from the Haddon Corporation, and actually I realized what I was saying earlier... They try to go back to Puerto Rico, right? But the government 
won't let them use the facility, even though they have the money. They're like, oh, we don't want to share the time. So that's when they decide to go to New Mexico. Oh, so it wasn't right. earlier. They yeah, basically yeah. say, like, oh, we're pulling the funding. The they go to get the money. So that was a slight error on my part. Yeah, no worries, dude. They go to New Mexico, the VLA, and they start listening to the space. Yeah. <laughs> they start listening to, <laughs> to the, the, the space. space. To the space, and the space talks to them. And they're out there for a couple of months, right? Like, I think maybe yeah. three months or something like yeah. that. Um, uh, before, after being out there for a while, uh, Kent, uh, Kent Clark, yep. uh, sort of breaks down while they're out there and like accuses Eleanor of doing all of these crazy things, like watching washing machines and watching static on televisions and things like that. Like it's a very, very brief scene. He says like, Oh, even, and she's like, oh, I was looking for patterns in the chaos. And it's just very, very weird. And he's like, well, they're pulling our funding. Like we're not going to, you know. They're, they're pulling out. They don't want to fund us anymore. And she says, we have two more years of funding. And they're like, they're a private organization. They can fund whoever they want. Yeah. And so she gets upset. She leaves, drives out in the middle of nowhere, uh, and pops some headphones on uh, while moving the satellite dishes around. She has her sick, fancy new laptop. Yep. Which, for, I guess, She's 97 is like the first laptop. <laughs> but She's got an Alienware laptop. Alien- and yeah. And mm-hmm. she's listening with her... Big old Beats. headphones. Beats headphones. Yeah, that's correct. Beats Dr. By, Dre. By resident Dre. <laughs> wow. Because it wasn't a doctor because at this point. doctor yet. Yeah, I don't know if that... We should point out, this is this is the big moment, right? Where she's like out on her own. So she's like mm-hmm. kind of at the end of the road here for her funding. Yeah. Knows the product is, is going to get cut. Uh, and she's just listening to this, these one pair of headphones on this one frequency, mm-hmm. right? And this is not really exactly how this would have gone down no. if she was actually monitoring any sort of signal she, she would hope to hear. You'd be checking, you know, hundreds of frequencies to hope to find something. Right. Um, yeah. Well, they would have to use computers in order to do this. Right. Like, normally. Right. right. It wouldn't just be her monitoring a single frequency. And I, I think they do this for the, the extra dramatic effect here. So she just happens to be listening to the right frequency to yeah. pick up uh, the signal. That, it's like, well, 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 yeah, yeah, it's a pulsating. Noise. <laughs> so yeah, like a like a deep pulsating, like yeah. Mm-hmm. Apparently, in the book, she's listening to like uh, instead of multiple frequencies that they would normally be moder- monitoring with computers, she's listening to like the generalized white noise background static. That's from just uh, from just the combination. The sky. Okay, yeah. So all of these different things all at once, and she's able to hear that. Okay. Right. Yeah. So then she calls back to the station, and just says like, "Go to." You know, make sure that what I'm hearing is real, and so they're checking out all, all, all their parameters and making sure that everything. While is... While she screams into a wall, yeah, yeah. yeah. she, she uh-huh. essentially like jumps into her car, starts. She hears this noise, jumps into her car, pulls out a walkie, and just starts yelling science jargon that I have no idea if it was true or false. <laughs> Literally, no idea. It was so much like radio jargon too that I have. Yeah. I, I absolutely cannot comment. No idea what it was. All. Yeah, but she's just yelling at people. Well, I think what we can comment on. Oh, is that. Radio waves are a very, very good way to try to contact aliens. I am a radiologist. <laughs> uh, and so if you're going to try to contact aliens, radio waves are the, are the way to go. They travel at the speed of light. Yep. So they travel quickly. Right. I mean, as fast as anything that we know travels, which is light. Right. Right. And me. Um, and Kenan, you run about as fast as light. I'm very, I'm very strong. You're very, very strong. It's those big, beefy quadriceps that yep. you have. Yep. And so that was, that's, pro- that's, you know, that's, how it would, would have been done in order to try to contact any sort of extraterrestrial life. Uh, and you can encode a lot of information in radio waves. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, I mean, it, it, it makes sense that we would try to also detect radio waves being uh, being sent back 
at us from any sort of entity. And one thing that one term that they throw around a lot that we made a lot of fun of is the word Jansky. Uh, <laughs> they mentioned they mentioned at one point that the uh, the power of these radio waves is about 112 Janskys, which we thought was just utter bullshit make up words. Yeah, but, but uh, it turns so. out it's a unit of radio energy, uh, and and most. Uh, most sources in the night sky or in the sky can be measured on the order of Milijansky, so this is a thousandth of a Jansky, and I cannot believe I keep saying the word Jansky this much. Well, I mean, Jansky is the correct terminology. It's the correct terminology, term. but apparently 100 Janskys is very, very big, so this would have stuck out extremely well, right. even in the background static that she was listening to in the book. Yep. Yep. It's, yeah. a, it's a powerful signal, is what you're saying. Powerful right. signal. The next part of the movie is them trying to confirm that the signal they're receiving is, in fact, extraterrestrial. That's a good point, because she actually says to them, like, we can't just go to anybody with this. We have to confirm, in fact, that it's from Vega, the Vega system. Right. And because her big argument is that people have been looking at Vega for years and years and years, and there's nothing but space... There's nothing in space junk up there, so, like, there's no way that anybody, like, no one will believe us if we say it's from Vega. Yeah, let alone... Yeah, never mind. So, they, they thought that they have to confirm before they contact the government. You're going to say that, that, that no one's going to believe it's vegans. We're no, all... he's going to say that it's the Vega Boys. <laughs> <laughs> so they are contact... So because, obviously, the Earth is rotating, you can only get signals from certain parts of the, I don't know, space at certain times of day, because if the Earth is facing the opposite direction, you're not going to be able to pick up the signals. Right, exactly. You can't pick them up with radio, with with dishes. You're right. So what they did before contacting the U.S. government was contact a bunch of different, like, SETI-like organizations all over the world. They contacted uh, contacted Australia. Yeah, Australia first, to see, and like... Is it going? Yeah, (laughs) yes, they called them down under, and were like, hey, now that you're down under, can you... uh, Pop pop the signal over here. Yeah, they said, uh, how's it going then, oh, uh, Jodie Foster? Australian for radio. Waves. <laughs> how's this? Is it good? Yeah, it's not nearly as bad as hey. my Puerto Rico, so I don't <laughs> <laughs> You mean very offensive Australian pronunciation for of Puerto waves. Rico that I had to cut from the podcast? <laughs> Oh, I was just trying to say it with, I don't know. Inflection, I get it. Inflection. <laughs> but it sounded really bad, so. Anyway, Jody, yeah, it sounds good. It's from Vega. Great, yeah, so Austra- Australia, th- hey, thank you, Tom. Uh, no worries. Tom Bonet. The Go enjoy your beer. Fucking I. Your Fosters. <laughs> you done? I will. You done now? Yeah, I'm done. Good. They, con- they contact other places in the world. They confirm that it's from the Vega system. And then Jody contacts the government, or yeah. what's his name, Doctor Dillman, or whatever. Doctor Drunken. I'm going to say Dumplings. his name wrong every time. Greg okay. Dumplings. Yeah. Doctor Dickweed. That's actually pretty accurate. Yeah. This person contacts Doctor Dickweed, and he brings in like the Secretary of. He brings in the NSA Defense. Is it the NSA? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. What does the NSA stand for? National Security, Security Agency. Yeah. James Woods plays plays a National Security Advisor. Yeah, the guy with the really nasty Widow's Peak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he plays just as big of a dick as he is in real life in this movie, so it was actually pretty solid. Yeah, so, okay. So instead of Pace having a polarizing opinion, it's Ken. Oh, dude, I think everybody can agree that Jimmy Woods sucks now. Jimmy Woods? (laughs) Hey, Jimmy Woods! Yeah, which is bad, because Hades was such a good character. I I thought he did a really good job. Well, James Woods is a pretty silly name. Yep. So, 
That's what Pace makes his. That's what we should hate him for. Okay, go ahead, Sean. She calls in the NSA. She calls in Doctor Dillman, Doctor Dillweed, and he calls in the NSA. Yep. And the NSA is like, I can't believe you contacted other organizations, you us like, to other countries, you know, like, it's a security risk, and it's basically saying like, what is the signal? What does it mean? It's from the Vegas system, like blah blah blah, all the shit. And to his credit, Doctor Dillweed steps in when Jimmy Woods is coming at her with this and yeah. says like. We have to because it's only in the sky. It's explaining for the audience a little bit. It's only in the sky for a certain amount of time. So yeah. once the Earth turns, we don't have access to it anymore. So we have to enlist the help of other countries in order to monitor. Yeah, right. exactly. And Jodie Foster's whole thing is like they weren't contacting America; they were just contacting like, Earth. Earth. Yeah, yeah. So like, I don't see why it should be. They a were like, specific American they were like, thing. why aren't these aliens speaking English? Yeah. yeah. And then she reinforced the idea that oh, you know. 70% of the country of the sorry of the world doesn't speak English <laughs> she also says that math is the language of science which yes. like which, that <laughs> was actually guess, pretty great I mean it, it is kind well, of she delivered I mean, the like sorry go ahead Pace well no I was going to say if, if you were going to try to pick any way to universally communicate I mean it's I the mean, language it, of the universe it's like math a, is is it's hard to pick anything else besides I, besides numbers yeah, I know, but I feel I'm so annoyed every time a movie is like, "Well, it's math is the universal language." I'm not so trying to say it's the universal math. I'm not trying to say it's universal language. I'm saying that I'm not coming at you. I'm coming. I know. I'm coming at Hollywood for this. I one. understand, but it's probably pretty accurate though. Because they could have been speaking Klingon. Like, there's nothing. Uh, well, no, I know, but you think if there was an advanced civilization, if they would even think for a second that like they would be able to use any language that they know to communicate with us is absurd, and they're not going to. They might not be familiar with our languages, so that's true. What and they're probably advanced enough to the point where they have a Hollywood, and in all of their movies, math Earth, is the language. Earthlings, of yeah, Earthlings contact them, and they're always speaking math every time. So they were like, "If we have to contact them, we might as well we send, send out math. some math. We'll send prime numbers, which is what they said at first in Contact." Yeah, so. and then they go through. We're going to kind of breeze through this because I don't really know what the hell. The, the really like important thing is is that during the scene where uh, the NSA is there. And they're trying to, uh, Jimmy Woods is trying to interrogate Jodie Foster about, like, the nature of the signal. Uh, she's saying, no, 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 as far as we can tell, it's completely benign. And then they realize that it's possibly a television signal after Kent Clark, uh, Superman's brother, says, oh, you know, this sounds like it could be, there's another signal here. He said, there's harmonics. Check the yeah. harmonics. And, and, exactly. <laughs> and, they, and they plug it into a TV. And unfortunately for everyone in the room... Uh, they do a, I don't know, they de-enhance, they back away from the image that first appears. They CSI it. They CSI it, and it turns out to be a clip of Hitler announcing the Olympics in thirty-six during the occupation of the Nazi party, uh, which was, in, to the movie's credit, again, one of the first broadcasts that was ever broadcast out everywhere, anywhere. Uh, so the first things that these aliens saw was Hitler announcing the Olympics. Because, so... It, we know the Vega, the Vega uh, star is 26 light years away. Correct. So if you, from 1936, yes. if you do 26 years yes. post that, it reaches Vega, right? Uh, and that was like, that was us contacting them, mm -hmm. right? And then 26 years to get back to Earth. Which is how many years? I'm not a math 52, 52, 52 well, years. It's the language of science, Kevin. It's oh, 52 shit. years. Yeah, what do you know? Shit. Yeah. It's 52 years, so 1936 plus 52 would actually be 1988. Uh-oh. Right? We went to the Vega in <laughs> 1988. <laughs> this is stupid. Let's keep going. So I guess what, what maybe what was happening is that they have been transmitting this signal since night. So it, it it reached Earth. Don't. You're looking into a black hole. Yeah, I know. Stop, stop. There's always way more shit in this movie. Besides. I know. 
But this the, is probably one of the most interesting parts the, of this film. The most interesting part is that they see video footage of Hitler that just got bounced back at them from space. Right as the NSA agent is standing right Woods, over her yeah, shoulder. Just pans over to like the military. Basically like looks at the entire US military and just and goes, Oh, <laughs> everybody! <laughs> at, at least it wasn't Hitler giving one of his like propaganda speeches, right? That's it's just fair. him like announcing the Olympic Games or something. Yeah, I mean, so. he also was saying like for the glorious new world that we've created and stuff. Like it was propaganda right. and announcement. Well, I guess everything Hitler said was propaganda to a certain extent, but this wasn't like a uh, this this was he's he has given worse speeches than this one probably. This was 19, this was in 1936 before the war started. So if geese. Like, if Geese started the Third Reich, would it be propaganda? <laughs> Thank you. So at this point in the movie, they smash cut over to the uh, the White House. Dr. Dinkle and Jodie Foster and uh, Angela Bassett, who plays what the... I don't know, her name's Constantine. Isn't she the, uh, the White House secretary press, press secretary? secretary? Yeah, she's the press secretary. Yeah, yeah. she's press secretary. Yeah. All right, so it's those two and then uh, the NSA agent played by Jimmy Woods. Uh, they're all walking through the White House and they're talking to one another. And this is where we get the first like couple of scenes of Doctor D- uh, Dillweed saying like, uh, "Oh, you know, oh, what a what a great discovery we've made." And then keeps talking over Jodie Foster and trying to like edge his way into the limelight over yep. her. Yep. And that like is a constant theme throughout the movie that we probably don't have to address a billion times. But the point is, is that it keeps happening. So ultimately, he's trying to take this project away from Ellie. Uh, and when the president makes an announcement, she's supposed to go up there and she's supposed to talk in front of everyone. She has these like note cards she's sifting through. Uh, and Dr. Dillweed goes up and speaks instead of her. And yeah, like, they oh, introduce what? him what? as like being in charge of the discovery. Exactly. And yeah. And she and this is apparently news to her. Uh, but yeah, while they're sitting surprised. there, while they're sitting there, she gets a page on her pager, which is how you know how old this movie is, because there are pagers. pagers. And they tell her that they found 63,000 pages of data hidden within Hitler's Olympics announcement. Um, And I don't know if anybody out there is uh, uh, privy to the way that images work and, uh, I don't know, television signals and that sort of thing. But basically they take the uh, Hitler image and they say there is an underlying image within this. And then they do a bunch of computer crap where they pull that away from the Hitler image and then, like, turn it sideways and show a histogram and then they flip it upside down and suddenly it's just pages of writing. They were doing a Fourier transform. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, they were doing a Fourier transform and it turned into blueprints yeah, it or something. Kind of didn't make any sense. Like, I get that you could have information that is not necessarily... Well, Fourier the... transform is when you take a time well, domain. Yes. I was joking. Oh, okay. What, but I'm saying that there can be more information than the video itself, like, that you can withdraw from something. Right. I understand that. Like, there's, like, timing frequencies and, like, the frame rate and stuff like that. Like, there are pieces of information right. that are inherent to making a video. I don't know how you put blueprints <laughs> in it. I don't get it. Yeah, I don't, I don't either. I guess it's not super important for the casual observer of the movie. But as people who are watching this to try and, like, siphon or squeeze any little bit of science out of this movie, it was very perplexing because we have no idea. How because it starts about. with like warm, warm, warm as the signal they get, and they somehow get a video of Hitler and then a map of uh, blueprints. They or get something. blueprints. So they get these blueprints. They're like, we have to decode them. Like, we need the primer. We need a primer, which is a primer, I assume. I guess. I don't <laughs> they know. They needed a cipher, basically, yeah. for the code that it's in or the yeah. language that it's in. Yeah. Yeah. And this is when the with the Hayden organization is that what it's called the Hayden uh, Pace you said it earlier what was it Hayden Hayden organization basically they're stuck 
they need the primer, whatever the hell that they is. They have no idea where to get it. And, like, James Haddon or whoever that head S- honcho. S.R. S.R. Haddon. Made by one John Hurt. Played by Big John Hurt. man on campus. Comes in. Yes. Uh, man on campus gets Jody to come into his helicopter or something. Yeah, it was on his airplane. It was really weird. She goes home and there's just, like, a... Uh, TV set up at her... No, that's a different scene. She, she goes back scene. to her house and there's a computer open and she's got, like, an AOL instant message that's, like... Are you alone? I don't remember. Hey, you up? Uh, <laughs> so, so she so. responds to it. And, you used to call me on my cell phone. <laughs> and she responds to it like, who are you? And then they send a blueprint across and she's like, oh shit, this person has access to our servers for whatever reason. And then they call. They We don't hear what they say on the other line. They fax over a map, a like map quest instructions to meet them somewhere. She drives over there. She gets onto a plane. Uh, the guy who greets her is like, you're lucky. He never lands for anyone. And we're like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah. She gets on the plane. John Hurt's up there. He's completely shaven, bald. Uh, and he's like, hello, Clarice. Welcome <laughs> to my party plane. <laughs> I have what you desire. <laughs> and it was very fucking weird. Step into my office. It was, Step into my it, plane it was, office. It was a very creepy vibe. Yes. Um, but the, the point of this little meeting was basically him telling her he was uh, that... You know, I have the secret to uh, to cracking the code he of your, said, right. of your I sixty. I have the primer. Yeah, yeah. Of, of your sixty three thousand pages of, right. of data that you don't know how to read, and that's that you don't read them two dimensionally. You read them three dimensionally. That's right, because in each of the corners of these pages, there are these like little circles and square things that are supposed to line up, but they don't line up. And then apparently, he's pre- he's prepared a PowerPoint presentation for her when she walks into the room, and he shows her that you have to fold these quote pages into boxes, right? Three dimensional shapes. That's after he shows her her life story from like yes, weird family. After he incriminates he himself for having been watching her for years, yeah, and also true. I know a sound investment when I see one. He, yeah, it's very, he's also the one funding her research. Yes, yes like, he is. He's the guy who's in charge of the money that funded the research. The one who saw her give her impassioned plea near the beginning of the movie and okayed the funding for her to move to the VLA. Right. So yeah. he gives her the prim, the primer. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. And is like, go and, you know, tell, I don't know, the, the president or whatever that you have the primer. Give me the president. So they decode the blueprints from the aliens, and what they discover is that they are instructional schematics for building a machine that they do not know what the function is. Right. And she proposes that it's a transporter machine, but... And they're like, well, well let's not jump to conclusions. Right. Basically in a meeting with the president. They're, right. they're, yeah, they're sitting at the... Um... Rob Lowe, and there's a lot of talk. We're not going to address this. There's a lot of God talk going there's, on. There's, there's so actually much a, lot of, a lot like, of like reference to religion. So much God talk. This, because... this movie actually, for me, felt like a science fiction movie that, for whatever reason, needed needed to bring in science versus religion. Yeah, yeah. I don't Needed to start it. an argument of like, science versus religion. Like, every decision point in the movie is always like, oh, well... It, do, do you not believe in God, Jody? Like, it's so weird. It's out of nowhere. It's She's very like, oh, well, I decoded the machine. It might be a transporter. They're like, a transporter? Why would we go see them? Like, My, my biggest complaint about this movie is they make it seem, that, seem like that science and religion can't coexist, which is true for some people in science, but they make it seem like this ultimatum. And so it's yeah. the whole movie is delivered just to like make an argument between the two things. It's really ham-fisted. It like, like basically to shove it down your throat. every time that some like fundamental discovery is made regarding the message they receive from these aliens, there's always just kind of like the the religion cock block that comes in and just kind of like 
momentarily like halts the progression of the of the story. I've you never know? heard like the term religion cock. Sorry, I, I maybe I should. Say, I honestly never thought I'd hear the word cock block on our podcast. <laughs> well, we can cut that bit if you want. It's far too late. Um, We've discussed it often. But for the, for the purposes of the actual film and what they do, they always they. They 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 always presenting as an, as an imposing viewpoint. Sometimes yeah, it's related, yeah. sometimes it's like related to the technology and how if if we should be embracing this. And sometimes it's you know should we be pursuing any sort of you know uh, interaction beyond that which exists that we have here on Earth. You know? Right. It's like that's that sort of thing. Well, and ultimately there's some playback into the end of the film, which we can get into near the end. But for 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 the middle of the movie, it feels very like unnecessarily antagonistic. Okay, Matthew McConaughey is is probably fine. I think that he Sorry, who? Matt Matty Matty Mac is fine in regards to his role in the movie. I think he actually the dichotomy between him and Jodie Foster is very good. Yeah, yeah. Um but like the the, the Rob Lowe character Rob Lowe didn't need to be in this movie. He did not like I mean I was happy to see him. He's a pretty guy. Sure, sure. I love Rob Lowe. Yeah. I mean who doesn't? But uh in, in regards to the role that he played, I mean you could have gotten by without it. Yeah. Um Do you think Krista Wade would have been better? Cassidy? Oh, she would have been so better. Yeah. So much better. Wow. <laughs> so they get to the point where they're, I, I would say that we're at, this is like a crucial point in the film where they are now discussing building this, this device, this, yeah. like, not even yeah. device. This is a huge, like structure that a trillion the, dollar project, a tr- uh, like a half a trillion dollar project that the aliens have designed for us to build, which is actually pretty crazy when you think about it. Um, but we're investing this much money and to build something that we have no clue what it does. Yeah. Right, which right? is like a real fundamental aspect that they say in the beginning, but then when they go to the end to use this machine, it feels like they all fucking forgot that they don't know how it works. Yeah, because yeah, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, but we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. But it's, yeah, well, but it's, it's okay. machine, they don't know how the it works. The weirdest thing to me is, uh, let's not jump ahead too much. So they're, they they decide that we're, we're, like, we're going to build it. They're discussing building it. They think they're going to build it, right? Yeah. But they still don't know what the machine does. And right. we still have the, like, of course, stock military characters who are like, it could be a weapon. One of them literally says some sort of doomsday device. Yeah. <laughs> and, of course, he's got, like, the high and tight, like, sitting in the general's he's got, like, uniform. And yeah. He's just like, it could be a weapon. Gray at the temples. We're not going to risk American lives on this. Exactly. Like, it's, it's just, like, quintessential, like, they were well, like, say the military line. They're having the debate is, uh, you know, how do we know that the aliens aren't trying to sabotage Earth and like right. like uh, it, you know try to cre- try to create some sort of self destruction device right. that would wipe us off the face of the of our own existence? To which Jodie Foster is like, "What? Why would they do that?" Right? She, yeah, yeah, and she's basically, which was very true. She's like, "We have no reason to believe that this is hostile whatsoever." Yeah, right. it's just like a signal that they sent us. Yeah, and we have, there's no indication that it's hostile. We're just assuming that it's hostile. So, so at this point in the movie, while they're sitting in on this this security council meeting, whatever the fuck you want to call it, uh, Maddie Mac walks in, and this is the like reveal for Jodie Foster because she hasn't seen him since their time in Puerto Rico. Yeah, uh, hanging out and exchanging compasses and time uh and so she hasn't seen him in forever and at this point he's like super famous he's written a book about uh the interactions between technology and faith and the modern world and things like that but the point is he walks in and he like bridges the gap between the two sides of this argument and says like oh no we should try to reach a common accord because this is of interest for all the people uh she like makes smiley faces at him and then goes and in the most obnoxious thing i've seen maybe in this movie it goes to the only other female character in this movie is like do you know where i can get just like a killer dress and then <laughs> goes goes and gets a nice dress shows it to a party 
I think nice dress is in quotation marks. Okay, too. it was a bad dress. Her boobs are out, I guess. I was, just like, like, I was really annoyed at that interaction. Whatever, it didn't have to happen. Yeah. But the point is, is that they go to this party, and uh, she sees Maddie Mac there. They start talking about religion. They start talking about faith. Uh, and they're like, interrupted. I'm going to need a drink. All right, all right. <laughs> all right, all right. Let's go outside. I know it's cold. Take my jacket. Uh, <laughs> they're interrupted by CNN, who, for whatever reason, has... Exactly, it's it's the blueprint watch for contact. They, for some reason, they have exclusive access to information that tells them that the machine is in fact a transportation device intended to transport a single person uh, somewhere. But ultimately, they this causes a rolling effect where they say, "Okay, we're going to go ahead. And we're going to build this machine. We're going to do it with X, Y, and Z resources. These people are going to be precip- uh, participating." Uh, we're going to pick six white people to uh, all get, be on the selection committee for this uh, or to be the selectees, um, while the people who are selecting them include uh, Maddie Mac. And to our surprise, uh, Dr. Drunkus, uh, he says, oh, I'm stepping down a scientific advisor because I want to be the person to go, yeah. which is another like major point of contention for Jodie Foster because obviously like he's been trying to dog her at every step. What do we what do we think about the selection committee? Like they said it was a group of I think like it was mixed philosophers. Of scientists, philosophers, theologians. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. mean this is probably this is probably good. I mean I don't I don't know like this is unpaved I, ground here. Like I don't know I don't how know, this would it, work. It, it honestly you seems just like let the person go who discovered it. I mean, I, I guess I understand the trying to include a bunch of people with various perspectives, but it seems like that in this day and age, that sort of decision would have been, would have been made by a group of politicians. I would honestly, I think the best way to do it is if you're literally trying to get a diverse group of people from different countries, would have the countries that are involved in the project appoint a representative from their country to go. Yeah. And then you have yeah. a selection committee with like the leaders of the countries. Like, what? What else is your president doing? I mean, he's doing other shit, but this has got to be the most important thing they're doing. They're about to yeah. transport someone to another planet. That's a good point. To talk they're to not, aliens. They're not playing like, golf right now. Yeah. yeah, like, I mean, obviously they're doing other things, but, like, maybe have, like, one-on-one interviews with some of the Well, Bill Clinton was the president in this movie, so he might have been playing the saxophone. Well, he was busy with <laughs> Either way, ultimately, this selection committee convenes. Um, they have Jodie Foster brought in, and they have Dr. Drunklumblum come in back to back. Unfortunately, Matthew McConaughey, who talks to Jodie Foster ahead of time, they meet when they're not supposed to meet because they're not supposed to be fraternizing. Uh, he says, "But you'd be leaving all your friends and family at home. Uh, so that's be, not all right. It's not all right. It's not all right. Fifty years would pass when only a couple of hours would pass here on Earth. Or, He's saying four years would pass for I you and fifty years would pass here. I don't here. fucking know. I think it's, it was fifty. It's fifty years. Yes, it'd be a very long time. So his point is that like I'll be dead and gone, and it's very coded. And Jodie Foster, because she's reading her lines, is like, I'm so confused after he kisses her and hugs her. Uh, I mean, the the point that he's making is actually a, a very important philosophical idea. What is what is worth throwing your life away for? Which is what they actually start to talk about, and I, and like he's he's talking about he's he's placing the value of family, friends, and relationships above any sort of you know professional pursuit here. Whereas for her, this is like this is the ultimate. This is the this is the ultimate experience of being able to go beyond what any human being has ever done before and to experience the other the otherworldly literally. I, I understand that position, but I also, I guess the thing that bothers me about it, and obviously it exists to create drama for the movie, yeah. is that in the next scene, the reason why she doesn't end up getting selected, and instead uh, Dr. Dillweed gets selected, is because Matthew McConaughey asks if she believes in God during the selection committee. Right. He's not doing it 
because he thinks that she should value all of those things above everything else. He's doing it because he doesn't want her to leave. As we find out later. Yeah. Um, I mean, he, but, sh- he shafts her because he the, wants her to stay. But the movie still raises places that places that that, uh, that emphasis on that on that line of thinking in your mind throughout the entire film. That's fair. I'm just saying it's it's interesting. I also think that it's absolutely insane that because uh, in the basically Matthew McConaughey sorry Maddie Mac asks her if she believes in God she says effectively no she avoids the question because she knows she, it, will, it will doom her I don't know she, she, I don't think she ever says no she says that she doesn't understand the relevance of the question to what she's doing which is true but which, she, which I agree with she does she she effectively says no right? yeah which which spells death for her because they the selection committee makes the argument that over ninety five percent of the people on the planet believe in some sort of higher power right. which is fair like you want to send someone who's representative. But Maddie Mac did that because he knew it would kill it for her. Right. And then Dr. Doomloss, when he shows up the for his interview, says, like, oh, I think it would be... He's like, we're blessed to have this great thing. He's just, like, yeah. dropping just, God just, in things. He's dunking on Jodie Foster. He was like, we want to make sure we send someone who uh, resembles our the deepest held tenets of our humanity and the most closely held beliefs and, and values. Yes, yeah. uh-huh. And my big thing for this movie, I think the least believable thing in this movie is that no one else in this film realizes how much of a dick Dr. Dumblum is. Yeah. Because he's such an asshole <laughs> yeah. the whole time. Like, it's yeah. so obvious, too. That he's being a dick. Yeah. And no one else sees it. Jodie Foster is just like, oh, dang. Oh, dang. Oh, dang. Oh, oh beans. She doesn't. She, she never does anything about it. Yeah, Which, I mean, like, it in stride. he's her boss, so, like, to a degree, I can see that occurring. But sure. no one else is like, hey, dude, maybe don't be an asshole. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's it's okay because but, <laughs> he gets selected for the project. He does get selected for the project, and Jodie Foster's really sad. But she ends up getting invited to go to the launch. They they decide to do a test launch, so they have like a crash dummy, like an automobile crash dummy. With His name is Elmer. Name's Elmer. Yeah, and it's got a bunch of different like you know biometric reading things or whatever. They it's supposed to keep like, track of the dummy as it falls through the. The, the machine sphere that again yeah. they don't know what it does they just built it they're like oh, we built this machine and we, they still can't figure out what it does from how they built it yeah. so that's something to really keep in mind here it's, no, it's crazy it they built this gigantic metal structure and they they don't know what it does and yet somehow we're able to piece the thing together so that it functions that they, i think they is also the, like throughout the movie uh, when they're running this machine a couple times, they go like, oh, is it okay? We feel some slight vibrations. And someone's like, oh, it's within normal limits. Yeah. Like, we're like, is it, what is it no- Todd? Yeah. Is it within normal limits? How do you You've know? never seen this machine before. How do you know? <laughs> like, what are their specifications? So, so okay, so anyways, they're going to do this crash, uh, this crash test or whatever, and Jody gets to go because she discovered the whole fucking thing. So they're like, you can still you come. You can only show up your And like sit in like, you know, the, uh, what's it called? The Houston station. I don't know what yeah, they call it. The command station. booth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> command booth. And so she's there for the test and she has like a talk with Dr. Dillweed. And he basically says like, listen, I'm sorry the world works the way it does. Like, I know Sorry that. you look through the world through rose colored yeah. glasses. And she basically is like, the world's what you make of it, asshole. So he goes. She walks away. He walks away, and she like flips him off. Like, I mean, not really. Grabbing her crotch, just like. <laughs> no, not really. But uh, we wish it had happened. So yeah. he's up there in the testing apparatus, and the way this machine works, if you haven't seen the movie, is there's three giant spinning discs that all like move around each other, and then there's a big like metal ball that houses an individual yeah, and it it's drops like a, like a cage yeah it's like thing. a cage yeah. but it's like totally closed in yeah and it drops into these discs 
and they built it over water so that they can catch it in a net in the water underneath it. Yeah, it's supposed to pass through the center of these discs, which are supposed to, like, accumulate energy within the center of it. And they speculate that this, like, forms a wormhole or an Einstein-Rosen bridge so that you can, like, pass through it, fold space-time, and go to a different place. And we're not going to talk about that all that much because we don't know how they work. Yeah, I don't know anything about them. The thing is, is that it's supposed to be, like, a portal to another world. Yeah, basically. And this is all based on the speculation. They also say, like, oh, you could just fly off really fast into space. Maybe like, they fly off the Earth. Yeah, yeah, they have no idea what's going on. So they do this test, and while they're doing the test, um, Dr. Dickweed starts saying, like, oh, I'm feeling, like, vibrations here and stuff. And, of course, everybody's like, everything looks normal over yeah, it looks here. Fine. Well, we're good to go, Dr. Dickweed. And Jodie Foster sees on the camera, so they have a camera in the test station, yeah. and she sees that one of the technicians there looks familiar. It looks like Jake throughout, Busey. It looks like Jake Busey, because it is. Yeah. And throughout the movie, as this thing has gotten more and more, like, press, there have been protests from, like, religious organizations or, yeah. like, cults that have been, like you don't get to go talk to God and all this stuff and being very aggressively violent and, yeah. like, staring her down and stuff. So she notices that this guy he's is not from supposed that to be organization yeah. and he's not supposed to be there. And it turns out that he's strapped a bomb to his chest. He's a terrorist. And he's a terrorist. And he blows up, he ignites the bomb in here, and the entire machine, like, explodes and basically, like, crumbles to the ground. Which yep. sucks, because we lose, part. like... A bunch of nice people, and then... And well, then Dr. Dickweed. Dr. Dickweed. Yeah. yeah, and the giant machine. And the giant machine is so also So the whole broken. thing is they're, like, this is the most expensive thing that anyone's ever built. We contracted, like, multiple countries, and then it's gone. So everyone's sort of just like, well, I guess we're never going to find out about that signal from space. And Jodie Foster's all really sad and dejected. And then... <laughs> After this occurs, we get the, like... The absolute shortest montage between tragedy and resolution that I've ever seen in my entire yeah, life. Yeah, she doesn't even go to a bar. She's she, just sitting on a bed. She Well, she goes home. That's true. It does happen very quickly, doesn't it? She goes back to the VLA, walks into the room, and she just she walks in. And the guy there is like, oh, how can I help you? And I have he looks some at her, mail for yeah, you. Yeah, he looks at her. He's like, oh, of course. You're so-and-so. I have some mail for you. Then it cuts to her in her apartment. She walks in, and there's a television there. And fucking John Hurt shows up, and he's on Mir, the Russian space station. And he's like, they keep me up here because it keeps cancer from killing me. I built another machine. <laughs> and that happens all within five minutes. Yeah, yeah it's that's very, very weird. Fast. So, yeah, and I guess Pace wanted us to briefly touch on this. He says he's in space because it's the only thing keeping the cancer cells from killing the, his yeah, body. Yeah, he says the, the zero gravity and low oxygen environment that he's in, I guess, prevents the cancer from spreading or, or getting worse. Um, yeah. st- first thing, uh, that doesn't make any fucking sense. <laughs> second thing, that still doesn't make any fucking sense. I don't even understand why that's a thing. So I, I, I mean, I guess that, like... There's data out there that suggests that, like, variable environments will kill cancer cells, and somehow this has been extrapolated into, like, oh, if you live in space, cancer can't kill you. Yeah, that's BS. One of them is is the low oxygen idea, right? And so if you're in a... I mean, yeah, space obviously has low oxygen. It's a vacuum. Space has... But in the space station that you're at... No one can hear you scream. No one can hear you scream. Uh, But on a space station... You're going to be breathing oxygen enough to stay alive. Yeah. Yeah. Like maybe it's a little lower, but like you're still getting enough oxygen to power all of the cells in your body. I don't understand why. Including the cancer cells. Including the cancer cells. Also, cancer cells sometimes actually because their um, replication rate is so high because they grow out of control, they're actually 
not using as much oxygen. They're using a different cellular pathway in yeah. order to just like rapidly turn over as much as possible. Yep. So they actually are less in need of oxygen. And right. because they're all in disarray, they don't get the same blood supply as the rest of your body. And so they don't need the oxygen coming from your blood. So like, In fact, a large portion of cancerous tumors are hypoxic in general. Right, yeah. exactly. Have oxygen. They don't have oxygen. And, in them, and so. that in part contribute to metastasis, which causes the cancer to spread. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So the fact that like being in a low oxygen environment would kill the cancer doesn't doesn't make any sense. doesn't make any direct sense biologically. Uh, the low gravity, I have, I mean, I just don't, I mean, your bones will not grow as well. Like, I don't know what that would do to your I, cancer. I honestly but, don't know. Yeah. The, well, Probably I mean, how often, maybe a cancer biologist. Can, it's very, very difficult to test that. I mean, you, how often do humans do experience put, zero gravity? Yeah, how often do you put astronauts with cancer into space? Like, not you know, often. It, it doesn't happen. You yeah, know what? So. If I, I have to bet that uh, that when SR hadn't uh, contacted the Russian government, was like, hey, can you put me in space because it'll slow my cancer down? They were like, sure, we'll put you in space. It'll slow your cancer down. And then they were like, hey, scientists, study cancer in zero gravity <laughs> you know what? once he gets up there. Yeah. <laughs> if I had to guess what they based that on, there was probably at some point a study where we were setting shit up into space and someone took a vial of tumor cells and literally grew them in, in their a plate. pocket that's because that's probably how that what works. happened yeah. yeah they probably tucked them up grew them in a plate and were like they grow slowly oh they grow, don't grow as fast yeah that's probably what happened which yeah. doesn't translate to being in a body no so anyways he's up in the space center he goes big surprise goes, we built a second one yeah he oh, literally we says, built a second one he says why build one he goes why build one when you can build two for the price of twice the price or something like that? <laughs> two, for the, two for the price of two. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which yeah. I guess is true, it yes. Like, <laughs> so weird. But they, they they contracted these, uh, they, they got these like Japanese subcon- subcontractors. Which his company acquired. Yeah, yeah. To, in order to build this. Uh, and they built, I guess they built it in Japan, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so it wasn't on, it wasn't on uh, in the US. Um, and he's like, Tells Jodie Foster, he's like, uh, they want, they still want an American to do it, and implies like this should be you. You're gonna go, so you're gonna go. We've resolved the entire plot, like, yep, falling action. And the best part is they were doing a test the first time when the guy ignited the bomb, and so now they're just like, fuck it, just get in. We'll there, just Jody. do it. Let's do it live. <laughs> no tests anymore. Yeah. So they put her in this device. Wait, real quick. Oh, first, Palmer oh, shows oh, up, oh, and then he goes, "I'm sorry for being a shitbird." Uh, true, true. These true. are the. This is why I did this to you. It's because I really just wanted to have sex and marry you, and I'm very sorry that I prevented you from filling your dreams. But now that you're doing them again, please, will you take me back? And she goes, "Yes." And then he hands her a Cracker Jack compass. Yeah, he gives her back the Cracker Jack compass, and he's like, "I love. I've always loved so, you." All right. All right. All right. <laughs> and then they kiss, and then she goes to space. Yeah. Well, she she's going to space. Space. So she go to space. She goes into the device. Yes. Right? They're doing the whole countdown thing. They're like, yes. oh, mission control. They start at like 5%. We're like, wow, it's going to be a long countdown sequence. And within uh, like four minutes, they're at 80%. <laughs> yeah. <it's, laughs> yeah. So she's sitting. It's like a chair. She's got sort of like a suit of armor on or something. It looks like she's been knighted. Yeah, she's wearing, yeah, exactly. She's wearing like a knightly suit of armor. And Kent Clark is there. Kent Clark is there. And... Uh, Reverend Ross is there. Yeah. Maddie Mac. So she gets into the device, they close it off, and they start, like, powering it up or yeah. something. They don't know how it works. But that's the thing, though. They, what What are they powering? The thing is... They don't know. They, they start putting energy into this thing. All the rings start spinning, and they start counting up by percentage, which... I guess all of these instructions were... I mean, 63,000 pages. I assume I that suppose, there's some, like... There's an like, SOP written in there somewhere. <laughs> but that said, like... 
Once it starts getting powered up, they start losing contact with Jodie Foster herself. She uh, starts feeling vibrations. She starts feeling vibrations. She panics, and they're like, no, this is normal. She's feeling what they felt back in Cape Canaveral or yeah. whatever it was that we did this. They built the first one in Cape Canaveral. Right. Yeah. She starts seeing the base of the pod that she's in uh, become transparent as the energy around her increases. We start seeing that there's a gravitational field right before they drop her in. They're initially not going to do that until uh, Kent Clark shows up, and he's like, I can hear her. Wait, no one else can hear her in the room. She's like, he's like, I can hear her. She's saying, I'm okay to go. Yeah. And they're like, okay, we'll drop her. And then the boat starts leaning over because there's this gravitational they field. They also see a giant ball of white light forming. Yeah, 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 that's yeah. The thing. I mean, that's how you, the, the phenomena that are existing here is, is clearly real by any sort of standard that we could tell because within this sort of like three disc rotating thing, it honestly looks like there's a massive like a amount of energy just opened up. It, yeah, it, yeah. Of anything that we could describe, it looks like a wormhole just or yeah. just opened up. It looks like a stellar event. They drop her through, and then you go through this whole scene of Jodie Foster inside this like wormhole thing, or inside this ball. And for some reason, like everything goes transparent for her. Like she can see through yeah. the front of it into space. It goes and back and forth like, between her like seeing different shots of the universe. Seeing, like, a civilization in far-off Vega, like, seeing a city somewhere that's not on Earth. Uh, And then the last scene that we'll talk about in a second. And then her traveling through wormholes and just being like, whoa! And then going, it's so beautiful! They should have said something She's she's just traveling through, effectively, space tunnels. Yeah. I mean, which we'll call a wormhole, I guess. She's, she's, She's passing through wormholes and, like... The connotation is that the vegans or the vegans are showing her multiple different places, part of the universe, so that she can witness these things. And then finally, she ends up on a beach. Well, and the whole time, the chair, the whole thing's like vibrating. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And she initially was saying, like, we don't need these restraints and they stuff. They didn't put like, a chair in the blueprints. There's no chair like, in the blueprints. Like, we should go by their specs. So, in the middle of it, the compass. The Cracker Jack compass that Maddie Mac gave her it floats up in the floats air. up in the air, and she just like unstraps her harness, and then all the vibration stops. And yeah, she's like, oh, like, she sees it floating, and she's like, "Wait, it's zero g inside the cabin." But if I'm attached to the cabin, then I guess it's shaking. Yeah, Man. so she is weird, and then the chair just like flies up in the ceiling. Yeah, the uh, when she every time she stops, there's this like implication that the her moving stops suddenly because she jerks forward and like she's not experiencing G-forces anymore. But then the last time she stops, the chair flies up to the ceiling and then she doesn't, which doesn't make any sense. But then it cuts to her like standing on a beach in... Uh, well, like, I was supposed to say Pensacola. That was the farthest she got with the radio that mm. she was messing around with earlier on uh, as a child. And her dad was like, that's the farthest we've gotten. And then, of course, she's on this beach and... Uh, Touching light. That makes music. Yeah, I, I guess she's, like, touching the outer surface of the cabin thing that she's in, but she's basically, like, standing in a bubble and pretending to be a mime, and there's, like, all these boop noises. It's yeah, and it's like, bing bong, bing bong, bing bong, bing bong. <laughs> yeah. And then disintegrating bing bong, bing bong. out of the nether yep. is... Her pet pat. Her far Her peepums. Her, her dad. Her dead dad. Uh, her dead, dead da- her dead dad, and so they begin Played to have by. they begin to have a conversation. And the David Morse, um, the dad basically says to her, "We thought this would be easier for you, showing you your dead, me, dead father you're dead on a beach." And she's like, "Yeah, totally." Yeah, it just like they always do that in movies where like aliens take some form. Like, oh, this would be more pleasing to you. Like, couldn't they have just done like Morgan Freeman, a guy, every single person. <laughs> 
on this planet, if they met an alien, and if the hey aliens, if you're listening, everyone wants to meet Morgan Freeman. Yeah, so just be Morgan Freeman instead of their dead parents. Yes, like obviously, I guess they want to see them again, but then you get to the spoiler of like you have to tell I'm them, hey, just kidding, parents. I'm not your pet pep. I'm an alien. Yeah, and you're like, you could have been Morgan Freeman, but you chose my dead peppy. Mm. To all the aliens out there. You're beautiful, and I want to see you as you truly are. Actually, if you yeah, want to meet true. Pace, you, know you should either be Kristen Wiig or Tim Tebow or Ethan Hawke, because they are his favorite celebrities. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so, basically, this uh, we we basically have conclude that this uh, we'll call it an illusion, but like this her this figure death. that looks like her dad, Specter, is the alien of death. Uh, and they have this kind of philosophical <laughs> conversation about what they're experiencing at the moment. And bottom line uh, is that. It, it it means nothing. He tells her some cryptic shit, like... He basically says, like, we've done this with thousands of other, or billions of other races. Some of them respond, some of them don't. And she's like, but I can't tell anyone. I have no proof. And she's like, it's always, he's like, it's always been done this way. Kisses her on the cheek, and then she falls out of the bottom of the machine. Yeah. And that's the resolution we get for the interaction with an it's alien. The, I hate this movie. We'll get to the ratings in a minute. But then she, so she falls out, and... Then we have no like a, yeah, no one believes her. There's yeah. basically a court scene where James Woods is basically like accusing her of falsifying this entire story. James Woods quits his job so that he can shit harder on Jodie Foster. Yeah, yeah, because like people haven't been doing that enough, I guess. So they're guess. just like trying to shit on her. And they're basically like, you have no proof of this entire thing. It only lasted 14 seconds from the time you yep. like released and hit the ocean. And like, that's it. We never lost contact with you. You were there. Though. I mean, they lost like. Physical contact A fraction of a second. But yeah. they had, like, visual contact the entire time. They were like, the thing never left. Yeah. Even though they saw a giant ball of white light and a gravitational pull that, like, pulled their battleship towards this thing. Yeah, they basically invent new science on planet Earth, and James Woods goes, this was all a hoax brought on by the Haddon Corporation. Yeah, a this... crazed man trying to make one last crazed stand. It's just like... It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't and, make any sense. And they use this as a platform to like many like, things that James would to sense. like ironically flip it so that she's basically saying like I have faith in this because I don't have any scientific proof. You have to just expect me, yeah. And like no one believes her, and they're walking out of the Capitol, I guess. The yeah, Capitol, the Capitol, the Capitol, Capitol building, and. Uh, as she walks out, she sees all these millions of people who are like, we believe you, Eleanor. We believe you. Have faith. Ah. And then she gets into a cab and Maddie Mac is standing over her. And somebody's like, do you believe her, Reverend He's like, Joss Whedon? What do I think? Well, well, all right. We I have, believe uh, she's a scientist her. and I'm a man of the cloth, but we have, and we have different messages. He always calls himself a man of the cloth. Our end goal is the same. I for one believe her. And then Jodie Foster's the like, oh, my compass boy. And then <laughs> the end of the movie is uh, the press secretary and Jimmy Woods talking to each other. And she's like, I found it very interesting that the static that you recorded rec- uh, inside the pod recorded 18 hours. And Jimmy's like, that is interesting. And then the movie ends. And Pace had the hardest time getting the reference. Which, point. like, I guess... Like, <laughs> basically, we talked to Pace for a little bit and ended with Pace going, 
they lied to her? And we were like, yes. <laughs> yes, they lied to our face. And that's the end of this. That's the end of Contact. Great, great, great movie. This is a good so movie that you guys wanted us to watch. To all you guys that suggested this movie, uh, don't suggest movies. Anymore. I'm sweaty and drunk and angry that I watched Contact. It's okay, Kenan. Do, do your writing. Tell me what you think of this movie. Boy, 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 boy. Oh, yeah, sorry. Let's sorry. read this boy, bad, boy. bad, bad boy. Boy, 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 boy. Okay, so here's the thing. All right, so as far as the science of the movie goes, the radio science in this movie seems good seems great <laughs> seems pretty good uh the physics in this movie sure there's not much to critique here i don't yeah. know much about physics and it's not implied that there's anything fancy going on um as far as like the science that we could talk about on this film i have to give it a one out of five because i don't know what to talk about like we could have talked about physics but it's only a small fraction of the film because a large portion of the of the film is about either science versus religion or technology versus people so yeah, it, there's not much there. And as far as the entertainment value goes, I'm gonna have to give this movie. All right, if I hadn't watched it tonight, I'd probably give it a three out of five. I'd give it like a middling review, honestly, because it was made in 1997. If I had watched it around that time, or if it had been remade around this time, I probably probably would have been okay. Like it's not. I don't know. I'm frustrated with this movie in a, for a lot of reasons. But it was just kind of a meh film. You know what? I'll give it a 2 out of 5. I'm going to downgrade it. 2 out of 5. It's not the worst film I've ever seen, honestly. But because we watched it tonight and I've had a lot of beer and we were trying to figure out what to talk about in this movie, I'm going to get it a 0 out of 5. <laughs> wow, that, uh, that, that changed yeah. a lot for you. So in the context of the podcast, it's a 0 it's out, out of 5. five. But in the context outside of the podcast, 2 out of 5. Okay. That's, that's good. Great job, Zemeckis. So... The science rating, similar canon. Uh, the radio science could be great or total BS. I have no idea. Please, please, God, um, if you work in radio or... Uh, shit, if you work on SETI, I'm sure you don't listen to this podcast, but let us know, please. Yeah, they're probably listening to a lot of podcasts while the computer's <laughs> just constantly. They're probably like, <laughs> We get this really annoying so broadcast boring. from Gainesville, Florida. <laughs> <laughs> um, the part with uh, the guy in space saying it's like suppressing his cancer is just like, doesn't make any sense. The whole, like, tacked on. ham-fisted way of the, like, oh, it's God versus science for this whole thing. It just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't... There's a wormhole that opens up, and it pulls a battleship or aircraft carrier or whatever towards it, but there's not, like, water flying up into it or any, like, ground Yeah, it leans it. the wrong way. Like, it would have le- leaned in the other direction. Yeah, well, and the whole thing is, like, the closer you get to a wormhole... If the gravitational pull is going to be even stronger, and you'd think that, like, dirt and water and shit would be flying off the ground into it. It just didn't... So, from what my rudimentary understanding of physics is, it didn't even make sense from that point. So, I'm honestly going to give the science a 1 out of 5. There wasn't a ton of science in the movie. So, like, if they had thrown in some more, like, science that we could critique on, maybe it would go up. But, like, of what I had an understanding of, I didn't really think the science... It was not super science-based. Yeah. So yeah. I'm going to give it a one on a five because there wasn't a lot of science we could even It's more of a philosophical about. movie. Yeah, yeah. Like way too philosophical. And, and we were t- had too much beer to like have a good time in this movie. For my rating for the movie, <laughs> I guess I'm going to give it a two out of five because I don't think that it's like the worst movie. Like I think Jodie Foster is a good actress. She actually does a pretty like, good job a pretty good movie, job dude. acting in like a movie that I didn't really like, but... I just, like, this movie's two and a half hours, and it's got some cool concepts, but then there's this big overarching theme of God versus science, and I just don't like it, and I don't think it's important. And then the way the movie ends is, like, not... It's not good. It's not good. Yeah. Shitty ending. So you're just like, all right, like, that could have been an hour and a half, and we can cut out a lot of the bullcrap, and it would have been an actual good movie. 
Because Jodie Foster is a good actress. So, two out of five. Pace. Michael Christopher Pace. Let me tell you what I liked about this, about really this think movie. Pace. I think that the actual, I think the premise for the film in regards to using the radio waves to, to contact extraterrestrial life, the way they receive it, um, and the, the scientific process for anything that we could possibly understand, which is not a whole lot of it, like we say, anything that we can understand was good. Yeah. And Jodie Foster, like you said, did, had an amazing performance in the movie. She was, uh, she did a really good job. God, she was really, really good. Um, things, and then, so that part of the film was good. Unfortunately, you could have done that in an hour and a half. Yeah. Um, and then you, and then you, you tack on, a lot of philosophical and religious elements of the film, which are just not necessary for the film to be enjoyed. Well, and also romantic elements. Yeah, like, there didn't need to be a romance. I would have, I movie. would have watched this film if it was just Jodie Foster doing, going on her scientific journey to contact extraterrestrial life. That would have been good enough for me, this, and 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 make the encounter with the alien better. Yeah, make make it more fulfilling. And make it more not like her dad made of light, like right. telling her like, That's, "Well, you'll find out more later." Yeah, the, it was so anticlimactic like so so i think that in regards to the science we don't like we say we don't have a whole lot to go off of uh i'm gonna give it a I i'm gonna give it like overall though i have to write the film itself as like barely a two out of five yeah like, yeah, like uh so what about that entertainment value if i were to watch the movie i described to you for an hour and a half i would actually probably give it like a three or four out of five yeah. but the movie as it exists i'm i'm also giving it a two out of five deuces um i was not a fan of this no, I mean, if Jody, especially there are like, wor- there are worse films because I really really liked Jodie Foster's story and 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 her storyline that was not related to Matthew McConaughey. I did not like Matthew McConaughey's uh, character. Exactly. No, I didn't think he needed to be in this. Um, film, honestly, um, like so. I don't I don't want to like. <laughs> if you like this movie, it's totally fine. I don't want to like shit on this movie too hard. I just. No, we should. We're shitting on it. I just didn't. I hey, just didn't me, like it. Here, here's the thing. Let me explain to you what happened to us in this movie. Is the movie is two and a half hours long. We all sat down and we were like, "Yeah, this seems like it's going to have a lot of good science in it. Like, yeah. this is going to be really good. We're going to have a lot that we specifically could talk about." And then we started drinking a lot of beer. Uh, and then during the process of the movie, which was two and a half hours long, we, we, we slowly realized that all the front end science that was there was all radio science. That's probably pretty accurate and from what we can find at least as far as reviews go is very accurate and then the rest of it was a philosophical argument yes so we got just progressively angrier and like warmer as sean's very 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 hot apartment just got hotter yeah we just sort of started <laughs> panicking like what do we do we have to record a podcast and we don't know we anything have about to do radios. this we don't know anything about radios so Ken, do we have any listener questions 100 dude we uh shared a bunch of the a uh, bunch of our posts and we have a slew of comments beneath the Facebook post that we made for this. So, I'm going to read them out to you. You read all the comments, okay. All the comments, here they come. All right, so, friend of the podcast, Lauren Junkin, says, Comparison of Arrival and Contact. Well, that, I mean, that I mean, seems good. good. We haven't um, lost Arrival yet. But we've actually been talking about doing Arrival for the I show. I think we are going to do Arrival for the show. We're trying to bring in a... Uh, <coughs> linguistics expert. <coughs> yeah, we, may, we may bring in... Friend of the show, Sarah Cross. One Dr. Sarah Cross. Dr. Sarah Cross. So that's actually a really good point, uh, Lauren. I think that's a pretty solid idea. Yeah, I can't really compare them now, but when we do Arrival, we will definitely compare them. Friend of the podcast, Aaron Roby, also says that if we do Arrival, she's got some anthropological and linguistics bones to pick with that film, so we could also use some of her expertise in this process. Perfect. 
Part of the podcast, Tim Boyer says there's a pretty famous scene involving a mirror. So I guess my question is, how can mirrors be real if our eyes aren't real? Well, Pace. spoiler, Pace. our eyes are real. Oh. So, so the, I guess we got that one one, right? The, the premise for your question is a little bit confusing to me. Uh, mirrors are also real. They're made of glass. Uh, and they reflect whichever image is presented to them. So it's um, it's a pretty simple That's phenomena true. that we observe there. Um, right. Well, Tim, I, I think we wrapped that one up pretty neatly. Actually. Yeah, it's very good. But keep yeah. the questions coming. Yeah, now. dude, keep those flowing. I want more of those. Some more of those good... Uh, those good, good Jaden Smith quotes. <laughs> yeah, so I'm pretty sure that's what that super is. Super good questions. <laughs> so uh, we also got another one from Lauren, uh, friend of the podcast, Lauren and Junkins, who said uh, maybe we can comment on their obsession with technology compared to this generation's obsession. So some overlap between like what this movie is trying to deliver as far as technology goes and uh, you know that whole hashtag look up movement it is actually kind of out there it is kind of interesting how in the movie like one of Matthew McConaughey's whole character's premise is that he's like technology has like made us lose sense of our purpose and stuff and it's like we're watching it in 2018 right now which compared to 1997 is just like light years ahead right people were still watching jpegs load a minute at a time yeah she got a fax yeah like i mean <laughs> well and, and the government still makes you fax things yeah but, but that's because they're like 10 years behind everything <laughs> she got a page like i mean unless you're a doctor right, right. Or like a real doctor you're not getting paid she's using aol instant messenger <laughs> yeah I, so i mean they don't even have cell phones she used like a car phone to call someone that's true holy shit i don't know no that's a good point it is actually a good this point. movie actually makes commentary that is uh, extant during our current time. Period. I don't know. I purposely try, honestly, not to use too many things on my phone. Sean is a luddite. He does not. Enjoy it's not that. No, it's uh, because like it's technology. distracting from the real world interactions that I'm having. I don't inter- like interacting with people in the real world. But so like that's what I use my phone that on. is what life is. <laughs> I mean, I think it's all about finding a digital. It's about shirt. finding a good balance. I like, mean, the, the only reason I have Messenger is because we use it to communicate with the podcast. That's yeah, Sean actually does this like pretty cool thing with his phone where like. If you're trying to get in contact with him over Messenger, uh, Facebook Messenger specifically, uh, if you're trying to get in contact with him and uh, a couple hours or go by when you first notified him, he goes, guys, don't message me on Messenger. I don't use it. Text me or call me instead. But then when Sean's trying to get contact with you over Messenger, it's suddenly the most urgent fucking thing that's ever existed in the world. And he's going to die if he doesn't get a response. So that's how Sean uses technology. Okay. I could start calling you if you'd like. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe I'd prefer that. I just, it's 2018. No one calls anybody. I don't know. <laughs> okay. So the last question we got is from a uh, friend of the podcast, Ben Roberts, and uh, they say, uh, how much contact is there in contact? What is the ratio of contact to non-contact? How many lost contact lenses are there in the movie contact? Anything in that vein really is fine. I would like to say... Okay, hit me. There was too much contact between the alien and Jodie Foster. There was. There was. Yeah, there was yeah, a lot of dad kisses was. that happened in this of, movie. A lot of fake ghost dad kisses. Yeah, that I, I didn't like that. I wasn't a big fan of the fake ghost dad no, kisses. No, it was gross. Oh, we also, I guess like, so if you're listening, right, watch, I maybe watch the movie. I mean, watch the movie if you're going to listen to the show. you want to see some fake ghost dad kisses, they CGI Jodie Foster's face to look like kid Jodie Foster and it is the creepiest thing I've ever seen like she's flying through this wormhole landing with her like space dead dad and it it looks like you're looking at like a very realistic but like obviously not 
real life Jodie Foster. It's Beantown so Ben, I wish my contacts had fallen out for this scene because it was horrifying. Yeah, to look it was at. pretty bad. So there was too much contact. So thanks for your question. I think those are all the questions we have for this week, guys. Thank all of you for your questions. Absolutely. I guess we should wrap up. Yeah, we can do that. If you guys want to get in contact with us, we are on Twitter at Real Science Cast. We are on uh, Facebook at a similar titled, similarly titled thing. Uh, you can send us emails at realsciencecast at gmail.com. Uh, we are always open for movie suggestions. And if you want to suggest a movie, send us an email. It's the best way for us to remember. Uh, and if you want to ask us a question, all three of those places are ways you can get in contact with us. We also have a Patreon uh, now that helps us uh, do this, help put food on our tables, and uh, pay for the movies uh, each. What we would like to do with the money is to, well, A, as we do now, buy the movies that we watch, but also we want to improve the audio quality of the show. Quite honestly, we would like to not record on Sean's dining room table just with, like, foam strewn everywhere on a, like, $70 mic. Yes. I mean, it's it's working right now, but it could definitely be better. But it definitely yes. could be better. But we also want to uh, ultimately provide bonus content as well. So. Yes, which we will talk about at a later date. But now that I'm gra- now that I'm graduated, I have a lot more time. But Ken and Pace still need to graduate. We're so. all going to graduate, and then eventually we want to start like you know some extra shows and do some additional commentary. But like what I did want to do is thank everybody who has contributed on the Patreon. Yeah, because it really so means much. a lot, and it helps a lot in the show. It really does. Absolutely, uh, Kenan. If people would like to, you know, get a piece of your personal brand, just like my whole on game. social media, yeah. So where I've been would on, they go? I've been on social media a lot uh, recently because I'm trying to, you know, pull a Sean and graduate and get out of here. But uh, you can find me on Twitter and pretty much everything else at LOL Kennen. What about you, Sean? Uh, you, I, I you're don't really, you're gonna Matthew McConaughey. Hey, all right, all right. Uh, time's just a flat circle, Kennen. Fuck. All right. What about you, Pace? <laughs> Yes, you can find me on Twitter at Michael C. Pace. And also, we should plug our WoW Guild, because we need more WoW players. That's very true. So for we Battle are, for Azeroth. We are on uh, the Alliance side of the lane server, and our guild is called Avocado Toast. And all of you should just send mass messages to Lunchbox on that server uh, when he is logged in, because we need, uh, we need, we need a bunch of people to raid Get some with new raiders. Up. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of cool, like, definitely coherent things that just came out of your guys' mouths. Anyway, the other thing that really, really helps us out is if you hop on iTunes and leave us a five-star review, and if you don't like the podcast, send us an email and tell us what we can prove about it. But maybe don't use this specific episode as a launching point. Please don't. we get it. Please don't. <laughs> My name's Ken Smith. My name is Sean Crossan. I'm Michael Bass. You don't need good science to good movie make it, you... <laughs> You know, wait, hold on. But make hold, it no, better no, no, sure no, does. No, 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 hold on. <laughs> We've gone a few episodes without really saying it, so let's do it for real. All right, let's okay. do it all. I, you, wait, let me do it. I never do it. Can we do it all at the same time? Okay. All right, you ready? You, you don't, don't need good science to make, to make a good movie, <laughs> does. Stay classy. <laughs> but it sure makes does it taste good. good. Right, what is wrong with you two? <laughs>